0: That's right. All right. Let me get myself situated here. I want to be uh, mindful of your time, so I'm uh, getting my watch out here to make sure that I don't go over. But uh, those of you who know me, know that uh, I'm a fanboy of Apostle Paul. I love Apostle Paul. And I love talking about Apostle Paul. So this morning I wanted to share with you exactly what it says over there, what Paul's last words taught me. So, of course, we're going to study the book, the second letter to Timothy, also known as the book of 2 Timothy. So let's go to 2 Timothy and... We're going to start the Bible study this morning. Before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning for uh, gathering us together as your family. And uh, as we look into your word, to help us to learn what it is to have a heart like yours so that we can love like you. And I really pray that um, through this word, God, we'll be edified and we'll be consecrated so that we can glorify your name with our lives. Father, this church isn't about us. Father, our meetings aren't about us. The lives that we have are not about us, but it is all about you. And we thank you for being the perfect Father that you are. And be with us this morning. with prayers in Your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the second letter to Timothy... Second Timothy, you would say that, you know, it's one of 27 New Testament, you know, one of 27 books in the New Testament. But if you understand the background and the context of it, then it becomes really, really special. So I wanted to share that with you. So when you look at this, this is actually a map of Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. This represents 20 years and 10,000 miles of Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. The first one is the red one. Red one is the first missionary trip that he went. And uh, that's where he was able to plant the churches in Galatia. And then the second one is the, uh, the purple one that you can see is going a little uh, quite a bit way farther out. And that's when he actually met a young man named Timothy in the city of Lystra. And then the third one is the green color one. He goes even farther out. And during the third missionary trip, uh, he writes such letters as 1st and 2nd Corinthians and the book of Romans. And then he comes home. And then the dotted line is when he was arrested in Jerusalem and he was sent to Rome. It took him about a year to go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. So this 2nd Timothy was his last letter. So after 20 years and 10,000 miles of his tumultuous missionary journeys, after planting and building many churches, as we know, Corinthian churches, you know, Thessalonian churches, Philippian churches, all the churches, Ephesian churches, and after writing at least 12 other God-inspired letters, and after being, held, being under house arrest for the first time, and he was released a bit, But then this time around, he got caught again. Now he is put in a dungeon, in a cell, knowing that very soon that he will be executed by Caesar Nero. So in a dark cell, all by himself, now he's writing this letter to his son. He'd never married, so this is spiritual son. He considered him son, Timothy, for the last time he's writing this letter. Not knowing even that this will be carried by a carrier all the way to Ephesus, where Timothy was leading the church, that he'll receive it even. And back then, it was not like, you know, FaceTime. You can just open up and say, hey, Timothy, what's up? You know, it's not like that. So this letter truly was basically, he knew that it would be the last, th- last thing I'm going to be able to say to my son. And that's what the second Timothy is. So when you understand it, we see the magnitude of it. So this morning, I wanted to share with you, I mean, there are many things that you can learn, but three things that I learn from Second Timothy. Interestingly enough, when you read the whole book, I really encourage you to read the whole book. I know we get to read a you know, chapter here and chapter there and everything. But take a few minutes. I mean, it's only four chapters. Read the whole book. And you will realize that even at the end of his life, Apostle Paul was still a vibrant and a fired up spiritual warrior. And that's how I want to go out. That's how I want to go out, too. And so this is really awesome. So the first point that I learned is that, you know what? I must fan into flame the Holy Spirit. Please go with me to Second Timothy chapter 1. We're going, to lead, uh, we're going to read uh, verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the first part, you know, as he as he writes this letter, one of the first things that he says is, you know what? I want to fan into flame the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And then he says, God, the spirit does not make us timid. Now, timidity, when you think about it, is actually common to everybody. It's not just for introverted people. Because even to a very extrovert person, depending on a situation, you could get timid, right? Timidity is all about fear. That's what it's all about. And God is saying we must overcome it. Whether you are an introvert, whether you're an extrovert, whatever the situation that you're in, if you are timid, you must overcome it. Why? Why is because the second part. See, if you are not timid, you'll have power, love, and self-discipline. Now, interestingly enough, the word power here, when you think about it, it's not talking about physical strength. You know, it's not like when I get the Holy Spirit, you know, I can bench press like 500 pounds like Scott Vance. Or some other big guys over here, you know what I mean? It's not that. The power here is talking about the spiritual strength. To transform your life and the lives of those who are around you. You know, some people might say, you know, without God, I can still transform, I can still change my life. True, to a point. Now, you can go to the, you know, go to the bookstores or go online to Amazon and buy all those self-help books. And it will help you. It will even transform you some parts of your life. But in order for you to change and transform totally from within, from your heart and soul and mind, only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's the difference of having the Holy Spirit and not having it. And when you look at here, it's talking about power. Keep your hand on 2 Timothy. But then if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're just going to go there just quickly. So... Years before Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy, he wrote to the, uh, the brothers and sisters in Corinth, and he said this in First Corinthians, chapter four. Verse 20. Apostle Paul simply says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Here it talks about power again. And here he says, the kingdom of God, which is synonymous to church in the Old Testament, is not a matter of talk, but of power. You know, to be honest, we religious people, we love to talk, don't we? We get together in the church, outside of church, midweek and Family group times, this or that. We talk a lot about different things. Those are good. Those are necessary. But what do we do outside of that? The question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Okay, what are we doing as the church? Not what are we just saying and talking as a church? Apostle Paul said, hey, talks cheap. Anybody can talk. I can talk. But what does your life look like? That's what the power is. You need to overcome timidity so that you can become powerful in this way. And then the second word is love. Now, loving those who love you back, that's very easy to do. But loving those who are unlovable, now that's difficult. And that's where we need God's help. See, only the Holy Spirit can empower us to love like Jesus. And also, love also is forgiving. When you go back to 2 Timothy, if you turn with me to uh, chapter 4. Now, Apostle Paul shows us this forgiving part. That's a really magnificent example in here that some of you might Miss when you go to second Timothy chapter four, he start talking about things that he needs and then Timothy go and get me this. And, you know, i you know, and then you come over here and, you know, say hi to these people. That's what he's doing over here. But in chapter four, in verse 11. It says only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. This Mark was actually the same Mark. His name is actually. He's also known as John Mark. Was actually the same guy who was with Paul and Barnabas during the first missionary journey. So they went to. So, Apostle. Paul, I mean, the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Paul to go on a mission trip, and Barnabas's cousin, who is John Mark, took. Uh, Mark with him, with them and then they went to Cyprus to preach the gospel. And then after they left Cyprus they landed on this island, uh, this uh, city, port city called Paphos and then that's where John Mark for some reason basically deserted Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. We don't know why, but he did. So in Acts chapter 15, what happens is that they're, they came back, and they go, okay, okay. this is my, our second missionary journey that we need to go out to. So let's go out. And Barnabas and Paul goes, that's great, let's go. And Barnabas goes, okay, let's take Mark along. And Paul goes, no. And so this dispute became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas basically said, you know what? We go in our own separate ways. And they actually split. And Mark was the reason why they split like that. But now after many, many years, what is Apostle Paul saying? Bring Mark, uh, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So Apostle Paul forgave Mark. Apostle Paul was able to reconcile his relationship with Mark. Mark. And that's what love is. Love is forgiving. But the level of love that we are talking about can only become, only can come from the Holy Spirit. And also speaking the truth in love requires courage. Speaking the truth in love is hard. Why? Because speaking the truth sometimes can be very difficult because truth sometimes hurts. We can be timid. It's like, I don't know. I can say this to this brother. But I think he needs to hear it, but I don't know. But we need that kind of love. But in order for you to have that, you have to overcome that timidity and speak the truth in love. And lastly, the self-discipline over here. Now, when you think about self-discipline, this is interesting. You need to think about self-discipline and being self-focused, okay? Self-discipline here is not about you, but it's about those who are around you. Think about this. You're lazy, not good. So you get disciplined and you become diligent, right? That actually helps people who are around you, that you are diligent now. Let's say you are prone to anger, but then you become self-disciplined. And so you become a really patient person. Then that patience, the patience that you have actually helps those who are around you. So when you think of a self-discipline, you cannot be self-focused. You know, I'm going to better myself for myself. You know, I'm going to be good. And it's not that you are becoming self disciplined so that the people around you can benefit from that. It's that's the kind of a self-discipline we're talking about here. So, you go, okay, how do I become powerful, all-loving, and self-disciplined? Apostle Paul very clearly said it. Fan into flame the Holy Spirit. Focus on the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Your focus isn't about, okay, how can I become powerful? What kind of characters do I need to change? How can I become more loving? What do I need to do? How can I become more self-disciplined? What kind of a training do I need to go through? No. Apostle Paul says, just focus on filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Then all these things will happen to you. These are byproducts of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So just focus on the Holy Spirit, and that's all you need to do. Well, that's really good, isn't it? We just have to focus on one thing, through the Bible studies and, of course, through prayer. So the question to you this morning is, how much are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do you even have the Holy Spirit? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, how much? 50%, 80%, 90%, 100% is what God expects out of us. Not just some, but all. Fan into the flame the Holy Spirit. Now, the second point that I learned is be strong in the grace. If you would turn with me to uh, Second Timothy, we're staying here, chapter 2. Now, Apostle Paul is moving on from talking about the Holy Spirit to this, the grace part. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmers should be the first to receive a share of the cross. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So then a second time now, the kind of you know, chapter into it, Apostle Paul is telling his son Timothy, you know what? Be strong in the grace. Not being strong in your own strength, your own talent, not your money, not your position, not your influences, but be strong in the grace. You see, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's why grace and mercy goes together, go together. Now think about this. If you are okay, let's just go to First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. I want to put this thing together to you. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Again, years before he wrote this letter to Timothy, he wrote to the brothers and sisters in Corinth, and he says this: Chapter fifteen. Sorry for my sniffle, but I'm kind of under the weather. So, second, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. Uh, Verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul, out of all the people, understood the power of God's grace. He knew how much he was forgiven. Apostle Paul was the guy who was literally against God's will with all his might. Apostle Paul was the one who gave approval to Stephen's death, who was the first martyr of the Jerusalem church. Just imagine that somebody steps into this congregation who has killed one of us, saying that I am one of you now. How would you receive him? That's what the Jerusalem church was going through. And it was not just him. He put many, many Christians in jails. And eventually, you don't even know how many of them died in the jail, right? That was who Paul was. But then now, God goes, Paul, I forgive everything. And now you go and preach the gospel of Jesus for me and that's what he received so that's why he knew what the grace was and that's why the grace was the unquenchable fire that Paul had inside throughout his life so he was able to overcome everything he was able to overcome flogging he was able to overcome you know being almost stoned to death he was being he was able to overcome you know people trying to kill him wherever he went but he was over. He was able to overcome those because he knew how much he was given was so much greater than what he was suffering through. And you know, when you look at these three examples, when I did not connect it with uh, this grace, I had actually a hard time understanding this. There are three examples here, right? One is about a soldier, uh, right? It says. Yeah, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. And then he goes, in verse 5, he says, Similarly, he says, anyone who competes as an athlete, so there's an athlete there. And then third one is farmer. And then these three things are supposed to be similar. But to be honest, initially, I couldn't really understand that. How is a soldier trying to please his officer, an athlete competing? Or is that similar? But then when I put the grace into this, Example I understood These three examples Are about obedience Soldiers are trying To please his officer through what Obeying obedience The athlete Is obeying the rules And even the farmer If you're the first one He is obeying The law of nature So that you could reap First So So Only when you truly understand the grace of God, you can obey God fully. So some of us are saying, you know what? Why do I struggle with sin all the time? How can I not? Why can I not overcome the sin? It's always there. It always comes back. The answer is it's because you're not strong in the grace. You're focusing on the wrong thing. That's why you cannot change. You have to focus on the grace. Another amazing thing that grace does is it gives you true humility. True humility is a byproduct of your understanding of the grace of God. Because if you truly understand that you are given much, right? Right now, if you understand that you have given all the things that you need, then other things really don't matter. Whether somebody treats you well or somebody treats you bad, you're going to go, well, that's okay because I have everything I need. But because we are seeking others' attention, others' approval, we're seeking other people's, you know, wow, this guy's great or that person is great. We're seeking all those things. That's why we feel like, you know what? This is just not enough. But God is saying, just remember what you've been given. You've you've given a lot. Look at look at the brothers and sisters here. We have people in our lives that will tell us the you know truth and in, in our love, that will help us, that will lead us. That will those people. I mean these, these, these this brother this family of brothers and sisters will do anything for one another, and we've shown that in our through our lives. And that's what we have. We have a relationship with God. That you could go to God anytime. and anywhere. And of course we have blessings of our families and our friends and all these other things as well. So only being strong in the grace will help you through the darkest times of your Christian life. Focus on what you already have and not what you don't have. You have more than enough. God said, I gave you my son. That's all you need. And if you can actually grasp that concept. Then humility just comes because nothing really matters anymore. So what are the greatest blessings in your life? Can those carry you through challenges and sufferings? Ask yourself that question this morning. And thirdly, lastly. What I learned from Paul's last words is that I must fall in love with the Bible. Now, uh, turn with me to, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're gonna read from verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3. First one it says, but mark this. That means you gotta really remember. Mark this. You know, bookmark this. Wow, that's rough. I couldn't come up with these negative adjectives, you know, the way that Apostle Paul even did. And then in verse 5, he says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. It's interesting because the very, the four verses, Apostle Paul is just throwing us all this negative stuff, you know, boastful, slanderous, all this, and then in verse 5, he goes, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Huh, that sounds kind of form of godliness. So What is that supposed to mean? So you're supposed to look like you're a really godly person, but then you don't have the power of God? Well, that's what it means? Yeah, and he gives a little bit more a clue in chapter 4. If you go and take a look at chapter 4, let's look at verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That is having a form of godliness but denying its power. Not putting up with sound doctrine. But listening only to what you want to hear. It's all about talking again. Right? Just like the first one. Talking about all these things, but not putting it into practice. It's all talk but no life. Being religious, but not righteous. You know, sound doctrine it's not what you think it's true. Sound doctrine is not even what you feel so deeply in your heart to be true. Sound doctrine is only found in the Bible. That's the sound doctrine. You know, the heart thing is an interesting thing. Put your hand there. But if you would go to Jeremiah, I'm going to go to Old Testament here. Jeremiah 19, uh, 17. Jeremiah 17, we're going to look at verse 19. This is God's word himself. He says this. Jeremiah 17, actually verse 9, 17, 9. God simply says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can under Stand You it. see, it just because you feel deep down in your heart to be true, that does not make it true. It can be true. But it can also not be true. Conviction solely based on your heart. It's not the conviction. Your conviction must be based on the Bible. Think about this. One of you think, you know, you know, I, I feel so deep in my heart, this it feels so right. So it must be right. Maybe ten of you say the same thing, hundred of you say the same thing, million of you say the same thing. If the entire world says the same thing, oh you know, this whole world is saying this, uh, this feel just so right, so it must be right. But unless it's in the Bible, it's not right. Even if the entire world thinks it's right in their hearts, it's not right if it's not in the Bible. So then, how can we have sound doctrine? Apostle Paul teaches in his last book. Back in chapter 4, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Acts chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to go there, right there. Oh, we love this scripture, don't we? We love to teach other people. So let's look at this. Chapter 3, verse 16, says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how do we get sound doctrine? Through the scriptures, of course. But it requires more than that. You're supposed to be thoroughly equipped with God's word. Yeah. Now think about this. You know, for the past several days, I know more than that. You know, we had fires left and right. We, you know, really uh, appreciated the, you know, the first responders. Now, when you look at those coverages on TV, when you look at those firefighters, I don't think I have seen even one time where there's a firefighter fighting fire without the helmet and a, you a know, fire return suit, just kind of going over there with his T-shirt and his jeans. I've never, ever seen that. Having, donning all this equipment and being thoroughly equipped, it's not just a good thing for a firefighter. It's expected. Your life depends on it. Doctrine, sound doctrine, scripture is exactly that. We are supposed to be thoroughly equipped with the Bible. You know, some of you may say, I actually heard this from a couple of brothers before. Reading is not my thing. Reading is not my thing either. But think about this. You know. When we were receiving those love letters from our spouses back when, you know, when we were dating, you know, write little notes. Nowadays, I don't know, you guys got all the text and the electronic stuff going on, you know, memes and things. But way back when, when I was dating, we didn't have any of those. So Sonia would just write me letters with her beautiful writing versus my scribbles that she couldn't even read. She would write letters. I don't like reading, but those letters, I love to read over, over, over again. And I have this huge box at home that I've been keeping for 20, 27 years. It's all there. Reading is not my thing? No, it's not about not reading. It's not my thing. It's about heart. What about those, you know, notes and cards that we receive from our kids? You know, those weird looking, you know, figurines and, you know, writing stuff and the letters that we can't even read. You know, for other people, it means absolutely nothing. It just looks like garbage. But what do we do? We put it up on the walls, right? We take them to the office. We proudly display them. We read them over and over. Do you you want to read what my daughter said? Do you want to read what my son said? We do do that. Reading is not my thing. I know reading is not your thing. But reading the Bible is about heart. Not about just reading. When you when you see it here, don't just read the Bible. You're supposed to fall in love with the Bible. Here it says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It doesn't say it's useful for just reading, right? You are supposed to do a lot more than that with the Bible. So, the question to you is, what is your Bible study like? Are you excited to read the Bible? Or do you rather read another book? If, you are, if you're feeling that way, you better check your heart. What is going on in my heart? Why isn't Bible exciting? Bible is God's love letter to us. And are you new to the Bible? I'm sure some of you guys are saying, you know what? I've never read the Bible before. That's okay. I really encourage you to start reading the Bible. And see what the big deal is. Why is that Colin dude so fired up about reading the Bible? Maybe you'll find out. I love the Bible. So, this morning, Paul's last words. Fanning to flame the Holy Spirit, he was telling to his son, remember? This would be his last words. The last opportunity to tell his son. And he says, Fan into the flame the Holy Spirit. Son, be strong in the grace. And son, fall in love with the Bible. These teachings are not just good or important, but these teachings are essential to our Christian life. Paul wanted to make sure, Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy learned them before he died. So in the same way, God wants to make sure that we learn them before we die. So let's stand up and sing for the uh, last song. Amen.